Hey guys, welcome back to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we dive deep into stories of Asian entrepreneurs around the world. Be sure to check out our book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, and check out our directory and marketplace at AsianHustleNetwork.com. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. If you like this podcast, don't forget to leave a five-star review. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network Podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Mike Yim. Mike joined NFL Network in 2020 and serves as a news anchor. In addition to his duties at NFL Network, Yam can be heard regularly on Sirius XM Radio, as well as serving as a play-by-play voice on Intel sports coverage on the NFL, college basketball, and golf on its True View product since 2017. Prior to the NFL Network, Yam spent nine years as a lead studio host for Pac-12 Networks, anchoring numerous pre- and post-game shows for the network's football and basketball programming, weekly news programs, and sports-specific podcasts. Yam also spent four years at ESPN, where he served as a sports center anchor and contributed to the network's NBA, college football, and college basketball coverage. Additionally, Yam previously was a frequent voice on ESPN Radio and NBA TV studio host. A graduate from Fordham University, and winner of the Marty Glickman Play-by-Play Award, Yam began his broadcasting career hosting one-on-one on WFUV Radio in New York. Mike, welcome to the show. I appreciate the intro there. It's making me feel older. We're doing this virtually so I can actually see the gray hairs that are popping out on the side. But I hear that and, and I smile because you mentioned Fordham and the good memories, the great memories that I had when I was still a student there and one-on-one. So just kind of immediately flashed me back. But it's awesome to be with you guys and, and certainly excited about today. Yeah, we're excited to have you show too. And your voice sounds really familiar to me because I'm a huge fantasy guy. You know, I listen to fantasy sports, fantasy basketball, fantasy football, you name it, right? And it's such an honor to have you in the show today, to be honest. And we're so excited to give the opportunity for our community to hear about your story. Right? I appreciate wanna, that. I want to hear yeah. everything about it, Mike, so take it away. You mentioned the fantasy. My God, had it not been for fantasy sports, Brian, like I don't even know where I'd be in terms of a broadcast career because I actually started at NBA TV. That was my first TV job. And it, it really happened because I knew fantasy sports. I was the kid in elementary school and high school in New Jersey playing, you know, on Real GM on NBA.com. And that kind of opened the door for me to get some opportunities on the TV side. But, you know, I, I was really fortunate, man. I, you know, at the end of the day, just people, the mentors, the people that took an interest in me when they didn't know me. And had it not been for some of those people to help me along my path, I, I don't, I'm certainly not at NFL Network. I don't get the opportunities that I've gotten in my career. Just so, just insanely grateful for those people who took that interest in me. But, you know, I grew up in New Jersey. I, you know, probably like most of the people listening to your show, you know, I thought I was going to be a doctor, the you know, typical Asian, you know, path. And, and I wanted to be a pediatrician. That's my whole life. Like growing up, I thought that's what I was going to do. And all it took, Maggie and Brian, was one semester at Fordham and get my butt kicked in chemistry and doing okay in bio. But I said, you know what? I, I'm studying a whole lot. And with the curve, I might be at a C. And that's not how I usually was used to rolling academically. So I pivoted and it was a hard right turn. I had a, a buddy of mine, my freshman year, Brian, who uh, lived on my floor. And one night he's wearing a suit leaving. And I'm like, man, where are you going? And he said, oh, I'm going to go cover the nets. 
I'm like, what? What does that mean? You're going to cover the Nets? He said, well, I'm working at the radio station, WFUV, and we have media credentials. I didn't even know what a credential was. And he explained to me he was going to cover the Nets. And I was like, oh my God, like that sounds like the coolest thing ever. How do I join? And then after my first semester, I joined the radio station, started in radio, and then was able to transition after I graduated. I started working at Sirius Radio before it became Sirius XM and got to work on NBA shows and then NBA TV to do TV full time. ESPN radio and then ESPN full time to do television. So had some great opportunities and then an opportunity on the West Coast in the Bay Area, which you guys are more than familiar with, with those Bay Area roots. Pac-12 Network had launched in 2012, went out for the audition, didn't know if I was going to get it. You know, I was kind of plotting my exit from ESPN for, for about two years. And that opportunity to sort of get the keys to the car was too good to pass up and just unbelievable experience for me there. And that eventually led to some twists and turns on the back end, which weren't always positive in 2020 and ended up great for me. And I ended up in NFL Network. That is an amazing story to hear. Right. And it's crazy how a lot of things in life sort of happens by chance. It's like, whoa, mm-hmm. I didn't know about that. Oh, I didn't know about this. Right. But I love the fact that you're able to pivot. Um, it's a huge factor, right? Being able to pivot, finding out that maybe this is not for you. What is your true passion? Yeah. And as you're telling your story, you can find your true passion already. You love sports. You love fantasy sports. And you found a way to make a career in there. Right. So you took action. Right. That's super important for us to hear. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. And like, it's, I think, similar to the path that you guys have, just a different part of the highway, right? Like, I've been in that sports lane and you guys amplifying stories for the community is really important, but you find the passion. You guys are storytellers. And I think for me in my career, I don't even know, you know, looking back, I think, Brian, you characterized it well. Like, there were pivots, but I think there's pivots for anyone in any sort of field. I just happen to be in the media side of things. I didn't know, like, I was too young to know that I was pivoting and, and making these moves. Like, you just, all I knew is that I wanted to be on air and I wanted some of those opportunities. I said yes to everything. There were years after I had graduated. I mean, what were you going to say? I was, I got to do, you know, six hours of radio every day during the NBA season. I did an all sports show on Sirius and then did NBA radio. And then I would get into the car, drive from Midtown Manhattan to Secaucus, New Jersey, where NBA TV used to be and do shows till, you know, whatever, one in the morning. And then on the weekends, I was doing fantasy for ESPN radio. Like there were stretches where I was working seven days a week for months of the year at a time. And it, I loved it though. And I knew I was getting better and the reps were important and networking was important. You know, if you would have said to me now, and I still think I do hustle, but I'm about to be 41 in October, I can't roll like that. I mean, I can put in some hours, but I can't do what I did when I was in my early 20s. But those pivots and being willing to to take on all of those opportunities, you know, I, I think I was physically more capable of it than I am now. But the mentality and the drive, I, I don't think necessarily changes over the years. Yeah, I love that. I love that you weren't afraid to pivot. And like you mentioned, at that age, it's like you really have nothing to lose, right? So yeah. might as well go for it. You don't know any better. So, you know, you might as well just do it. And I, I read in an article that mentioned, you know, obviously, I, I'm sure your, your father or your parents had this like iconic American dream for you to be a doctor or a lawyer, right? And in that article, it's, it mentioned that your father wasn't a sports fan either. Like he didn't know much about sports. So what did your parents think about this? Like when you had pivoted? Yeah. So it's a really interesting story because my dad was born in Hong Kong. My mom was born in the Bronx. My mom's Italian. My dad is obviously Chinese. And, you know, it's a different mentality, right? Like my dad, his upbringing 
very, very different than mine. Like I, it's, it's not lost on me, especially as I've gotten older. I, I think when I was younger, there's less of an appreciation because you're just immature and you don't understand the sacrifices. Like you get it in theory, but as you grow up and you realize like, oh damn, like there was, there was a lot of stuff and how fortunate am I that, you know, my dad didn't, didn't have the upbringing that I had. I mean, I had supportive teachers. I got to go to private Catholic school. You know, my dad was told when he was in Hong Kong, they'd never be able to learn to speak English. And, you know, basically the short story is, and I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. My, obviously my, my dad's family is from Hong Kong. My grandfather had gotten a job as a sailor. There's a ton of poverty, obviously in Hong Kong. And, and, you know, my dad's side of the family, like they didn't really, both sides of the family didn't come from, you know, they weren't super rich or well off. And certainly there were some struggles there for my dad and his family, but my grandfather father had gotten the job as a sailor, knew the boat was coming to the U.S. It docked in Baltimore. He took that job knowing that he wasn't going to get back on the boat. And he was down in Baltimore and trying to scratch and claw his way to save money. The authorities were, you know, obviously at that time were kind of hot on the trail of, of undocumented immigrants. He was certainly one of them. He had gotten jobs in Chinese restaurants, cleaning dishes. I had heard the stories through the years. You know, he used to, cops would come and, and he'd run out the back, hide in dumpsters. Like, I think about those types of things. And look, I don't want to say my story is drastically different than, than people who are listening to your show, but I would venture a guess and say a guess and say that most of the people that are in the Asian community don't hear stories like that. Like my grandparents, like that, that's I hear more stories from my mom about my dad's side of the family than hearing them necessarily from my dad. Like I have to actually like corner him to get some of these stories through the years. But the struggle was real. Like my grandfather was in the States for years, separated from my dad, my grandmother, and my aunts, and my uncles as well. And he had saved up enough money over time to get everyone to the US. They came to New York. He was able to open up his own Chinese restaurant, you know, and ended up closing it. My dad tells me the story. It was a bad neighborhood in New York where you had the restaurant and, you know, they had gotten robbed a couple of times. One time my aunt was held at gunpoint. And, you know, they basically had to give, you know, all the money in the register. And and at that point they realized like, hey, we, we probably should shut this down. And they did. My dad says, Hey, like that was the only time in my life I ever saw my dad, meaning my grandfather, ever cry. You know, because that is like the American dream. Like you go from literally nothing to then having your own piece of real estate, right? Like or you have your restaurant and own the land. But you know what I'm saying? Like it was your business. And that's not easy. So to close that. I know it was tough, but at the same time, you know, circling back to my dad's path, like he was able to serve, you know, and then ended up going and, and using some of the money from the government to help fund his education. And he worked in as a cytologist in some hospitals in New York City. And cytology is basically the study of cells. So when you get your blood drawn, he's the guy that's looking through the microscope. And, you know, probably that. And my mom used to be a nurse. She's now a university president. After I was born, she went towards the academic side so that she could help, you know, be around for me. You know, I guess my story, once Again, is, is probably similar to your guys' families and, and a lot of families out there where you have this dream, you have this will, you have this family, and those are kind of the the pillars that you want to hold on to. And then how do you make some of those dreams become reality? And a lot of it comes at a sacrifice. And I do think about the sacrifices that, you know, my grandparents and certainly my parents have made for me. Oh yeah, definitely. I think we all we oftentimes we don't remember the sacrifices that they have made, right? Yeah. Or it just doesn't get talked about, right? And sometimes like, for example, my parents, my parents are also from Hong Kong. And it's like, every time I want to hear more about their history, I would have to like dig it out of them. Yeah. And also it's like, it, it becomes very traumatic for some of for some of their parents to talk about those stories, right? And so it's, it becomes very hard to get those stories out. But once you learn about those stories, it's like, wow, they, they did go through a lot just to get them, get us and their children over to the United States. But 
I think for a lot of our parents, like they went through so much as especially like a lot of them being entrepreneurs, they just don't know any better in terms of like what they want their children to do in the future. And so they want them to like not struggle the same way that they did. Right. And so the safe way to go about that is to become a doctor Doctor, or a lawyer, lawyer. just have something very (laughs) stable. Right. But then we realize that that's not something that makes us happy. You know, we want to fulfill our passion. We want to do something that's very fulfilling for us. So I love that you, you brought up that that story for us. Maggie, they took the chances so that we don't. And yet here we are. You guys are, are running a, a very successful platform. I'm, I'm talking about sports for a living. And, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. This is where we netted out. And while it's maybe not the safest path as we were entering these respective fields, in a lot of ways, that's, you know, A, you're, you're passionate about it and we love what we do. So there's a happiness that comes with it. But we've been able to, to create something that's been pretty successful. I do agree that we're pretty fortunate to focus on things that we're passionate about, but of course it's very turbulent. It's very, it's not constant, right? You're not waking up, you don't have like a normal, normal day or normal, normal job. Every day is a surprise, right? And I know for a fact that, you know, we talk to a lot of media people on the podcast and we yeah. understand that getting to the field is extremely difficult, right? Especially getting to the NFL network, it's extremely difficult. Like walk us through that story and that part of your life, right? How'd you get into sports? Like the very beginning, without prior connections, prior experience, like what kind of hustle stories did you have? Like what kind of recordings did you put out? What kind of interviews did you have? What did you have to say about yourself? What were these fancy dinners like? What dinners like? Right? Yeah, <laughs> Brian, it's a great question because you know over the years I, I'm really fortunate where I get to talk to a lot of college students. One of my favorite things to do because people did that for me when I was at Fordham, and I got a lot out of it. But it's also a reminder for me that of what it was like when it was reversed, when I was the kid in the seat and I couldn't wait, like this was a dream. This is something that I wanted to do and what that actual path looked like. I tell all those students and I will tell Brian and, and you, Maggie, the same thing. Like, I don't know if you'll find anyone more fortunate in the business than me. Very, very lucky for the path that I've been able to, to be on. Things, doors opened, things needed to fall into place for, you know, to me to have some of these opportunities. And I didn't know, Brian, like if I went back early, I was always a sports fan and it was more on the playing side. Like I love playing every sport. Like I love doing that as a kid. I watched the games. I had no idea. And I know this sounds silly. I had no idea though, that it was an actual job for someone to go to a game and be a broadcaster. You know, when I got to Fordham, people had been, this was like their lifelong dreams. Like they were, you know, caught, they wanted to be play by play voices. I'm like, damn, like, I don't, I don't know about any of this stuff. Like, what are you talking about? I'm a sports fan. I want to go to the games. Like, that sounds cool to me. So it was a very different, I, I entered, I won't say behind, but not thinking about it in those terms. Like I, there was a, I made reference to this. I went to an all boys Catholic high school in New Jersey. And one of the priests one time said, Hey, you have a good voice. And I had no, no one had ever said that to me. I didn't even know I had it. Like sometimes I hear myself do VOs and I'm like, Oh my God, my voice is awful. But you know, I didn't, it just planted this seed. I had no idea. And I started to think, I said, Oh, maybe I can be a doctor, but then do news segments on television. This is like before Sanjay Gupta, right? Like this was local news kind of thing. So I think the media bug got planted then, but I didn't know about sports. In fact, it wasn't until I saw Michael Kim, I didn't have cable growing up, you know, so like everyone of a certain age always talks about like MTV. I was like, I don't see music. I saw music videos at my friend's houses. Like, you know, I got to college. That was the first time I like lived in a place where there was cable television. And, you know, it wasn't until I got there and I saw Michael Kim on TV. And, and for those who don't know, Kimmer is one of the pioneers, I think. He was the first national that I can think of, first national sportscaster of Asian descent that existed. So I just all of a sudden saw a dude who looked like me 
and sort of gravitated towards him. I remember when I got to ESPN, Michael came up to me and he introduced, he said, Hey, Michael, I'm Michael Kim. And I was like, dude, you don't need to introduce yourself, bro. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I've been watching you for years. Big reason why I'm even in this thing. And I've been pretty fortunate because we've been able to stay friends and, and keep in touch over the years. But it's this whole idea of, hey, I need to see it. And I think that's what's great about what you guys are doing. Like, you're showing and telling stories of people who don't automatically think that this is a viable path for them. And on the sports side, there's not many of us. And as a broadcaster, there's not a ton of... You'll see Asian females on TV on the news side, but you don't always see a ton of Asian males. And then on the sports side, there's even fewer nationally. And it's kind of heartbreaking. It's disappointing. And I think a lot of it has to do... Um, I don't know if you guys would agree with this. I, I think a lot of it has to do with our upbringing, right? Like it's storytelling. Like that's a job. Like, come on now. Like, are you serious? Do you know what we need to need to do to get here to the States? Like, that's not how we're going to roll. Like you guys are going to be doctors and lawyers and go the safe path. But I do think it's important. I think as generations pass, and I can't believe I'm talking like an old guy, but you know, these younger generations, I think you're seeing more, more willingness to enter some of these creative fields as opposed to the science fields. And I'll use like the air quotes around science, but you know what I'm saying? Like the safer paths for individuals. And I think that's really cool. And I think it, I, I'm hoping that it continues to change and go in that direction. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely agree with that statement, right? I hope that we continue pushing out what's possible for our for the next generation, right? And I feel like a part of it is just because our parents' values and what we want for us is starting to wear off. Right. Yeah. This is what they always wanted, right? They want us to be assimilated to American culture. And this is actually a side effect. <laughs> Careful of what you wish for, right? Exactly. <laughs> we're losing our Asian values. Like, oh, it's like we're falling away from the stereotypes. I think for us, it's like our generation, like to you and I, Michael and Maggie as well, is that we're going through a clash of beliefs, clash of culture, because our parents are you know, always telling us like, be careful who you work with or save your money or oh, yeah. put yourself out there. You're, people are going to attack you or whatever. Big for money. <laughs> for, God, for God's sake, big for money. Right. So there's a clash of culture right there. I see a lot, not just, I see a lot even more with the younger, younger generation with the early college grads that, that are so in tune with social media and, and everything else. But it's crazy. I know Maggie has something to say too. Yeah, I think, Mike, you hit on a lot of great points because when Brian and I, when we were starting Asian Hustle Network, obviously we're doing storytelling as well, right? We're encouraging Asian entrepreneurs and professionals to share something about their entrepreneurial journey or about their cultural heritage, anything that they learned throughout their journey. And in the beginning, it was like something so unknown to people because it was like, share my story. Like, I'm not comfortable doing that because I've never done it before, you know? And like Brian mentioned, a lot of people in the younger generation, they're more open to sharing their stories because they're, you know, much younger. They're more woke in, <laughs> for a lack of a better term. But nowadays, we're like more open to sharing our stories. And what you said is completely true about seeing people who look like us and sound like us on television. Because when we don't see people who look like us and sound like us on TV or on media, it's almost like we don't think it's possible, right? And for you, you're really paving the way and setting a path for future Asian American broadcasters. And you're completely right. Like, I don't see a lot of male broadcasters. I see a lot of female broadcasters on news channels covering news, but not a lot of male, especially in the sports industry. And so, yeah, you're definitely paving the way and, you know, setting this foundation for the younger generation as well. Really appreciate that. And I do hope that, you know, the situation that we're in here in the States, right? Like 2020 comes tax on Asian Americans. What I found fascinating about that time that was so effed up, I'll use that term because I don't want to curse on your podcast. I want to be respectful about that. But like, what was really messed up about that situation is I couldn't get over, I couldn't wrap my head around why there wasn't more 
national vocal outrage to what was happening. And I'm thinking to myself, like, like, what are we doing here? Like, why are people not talking about this? Because guess what? It was people within the communities talking about it. I got to tell you, like my text messages, cousins, hey, be careful when you go out. But like, it was like this, this insular conversation. It wasn't outright. And then it, it dawned on me. I'm like, damn, because like, we don't have enough people representing Asian Americans on media platforms, writers, journalists, people on TV, like that, I think shapes part of that coverage or lack thereof. And then I think there's the, the, the aspect of it. Hey, like, don't be vocal, keep your head down, assimilate. Like Brian, like you had mentioned before, you know, don't upset the apple cart. Well, guess what? Like this is the time to do it. And I think, you know, I was almost shocked by the lack of even some of the people who do have platforms not speaking about it. It started to bother me a little bit. And then, you know, I realized, well, damn, maybe I should start saying some stuff and, and did a little bit on social and, and NFL was great. They let me do an op-ed that they put on NFL. You know, there's all these different things that pop up. I mean, hell, even before, you know, kind of COVID hit and those attacks, you know, there was a real conversation in this country about immigration and looking at people who are not born in the States that are trying to find a better path. And it was dehumanizing. I probably should have asked and I didn't, but I didn't ask my dad, you know, hey, can I write about our family story? Because I'm sitting there watching news coverage, seeing kids getting separated from from their parents. I'm like, like, where do we live? Like, we're not animals here. Like, this is not how it's supposed to be. You don't separate kid from their parents. Like, that's that's ridiculous. That I, I mean, you know how traumatizing that must be for for those you know, those little ones. And you know, part of the reason why I even you know wrote about the path of my family is because all right, like we got to put some faces on this. Because guess what? Like, not everyone is a criminal. Not everyone's really bad. Not everyone's trying to cheat the system. Like, that's not how it is. And we're really fortunate for being here in the states, having the luxuries that we have. And I can't say, hey, that someone just because they weren't born here doesn't deserve basic human rights. Like, that's like, what are we? You know, and I'm going on a tangent here, guys, and I apologize. But I think the more people who are willing to share some of these stories, to your point, you guys do a great job from a positive side to help you know, spearhead, you know, business people and you know people who want to think about how to launch their own path. And you you're telling their stories so that people get those examples. I think the same thing could be said from a social side of things, just trying to make people remind people to do the right thing as much as they can. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I read that op-ed and it was amazing. And I love that you took the initiative to be very vocal, um, especially during that time when there was a rise in anti-Asian hate crimes, right? As a result of the pandemic. And you used your platform to really speak up against these these attacks and encourage people with influence to actually help because there might be people who didn't even know it was happening at the time that it was happening, right? And for you to use your influence and to use your platform, it was just very courageous of you. I appreciate that. You know, I had a, f- I, I will say this though, because while I was getting mad and I can even feel myself getting upset for people who weren't using their platforms to speak up about this, because what, what I always net out, hey, what's right is right, what's wrong is wrong, right? Like if you just, let's just kind of do the right thing here. I had a friend of mine from the NFL who reached out to me after I wrote that op-ed and he's Asian as well. And he was just sort of checking in and we were having this conversation. And he said, you know, Mike, you got to review because I was like, hey, why are people talking about this more? And he said something that really sparked something I, I haven't forgotten. And he said, hey, like not everyone is ready in a specific moment to share their story and their path. And, and you probably need to be respectful of that. And I was like, damn, you know what? You're 100% right about that. So it's not lost on me that not everyone's always comfortable with it. I just hope that platforms like what you guys have start sparking more storytellers, more people that are interested in sharing their stories so that we're not relying on a very small amount of people to try to speak for everyone. Absolutely. 
So Mike, we do want to shift the conversation a little bit and see and ask what you are currently working on right now. Yeah, you know, I, it's super exciting for me because I know we, we talk about this aspect of storytelling. So one of the things in 2020 with everything that was going on, I thought to myself like, hey, how do we get ahead of this, right? Like if there's a certain generation, you can't just fast track. Let's just get a ton of broadcasters in or how do we shift the the landscape for for the media? Like to me, you don't snap your fingers and it doesn't change overnight. So it's like, how do we plant these seeds down the line? And I think for me, I was like, all right, let's, let's be creative about this. So, um, I was working with this platform called Vooks and it's children's reading platform. It was something that their mission was really close to my heart, Maggie, because I had struggled as a, as a young kid learning to read. My mom was on the couch helping me, you know, with the, her index finger under every line of the books, just trying to make sure that I could catch up. And this reading platform is really great because it does it animates stories and it adds read along text and full narration, which helps fast track learning. So, you know, I've been kind of working with those guys and, and bringing on people like Ronnie Lott and Samantha Pesci, just some friends that I've made over the years to tell their stories. And I said, Hey guys, you know, I, I think I have an idea for a story. I have a draft. Would you be willing to take a look? And they're like, sure. And they let me author fried rice and marinara, which basically is a story of a young boy named Mikey. I know this is really close to, to my heart. It's, it, it was sort of like a fictitious thing that kind of happened to me, but kind of didn't happen to me, but he's Italian and Chinese and he, it's his fourth birthday. He, he's got this age old question like, Oh my God, what am I going to do for food? And he doesn't want to choose between the Chinese side or the Italian side. And from that moment, he starts to, to kind of freak out about it. And he asks his grandmother, what should I do? And he gets advice from his friends. And then at the end, he nets out and says, hey, you know what? It's I can create something really special and that's unique. And I think the one thing that I was hoping was to spark conversations with families who have multi-ethnicities under one household, normalize that. Number one. Number two, plant seeds. Like You don't always see Asian male characters in the leading role. And I'm talking movies, You know, outside of the typical you know, kung fu, karate fighting movie, right? Like you don't, I mean, that's why Crazy Rich Asians was, is, I think, in, as impactful as it was. You know, I walked out of that theater and Brian, I don't know, and I'll single you out, Brian, because you're the male on this show with me. But I, I got to tell you, man, like I had never seen an Asian dude like score the girl. Like, what was that? Like, there was that he's supposed to be a good looking guy because he is, right? Like, that just, that's never happened. You know, I just wasn't aware of it. So I left that movie theater and that like really kind of hit me a little bit. So, what I wanted to do with, with this story was sort of plant some of those seeds that you'd have like an Asian male character that was young. You'd have an Asian male author, right? Who is a storyteller, like all of these things just to try to kind of promote, you know, storytelling and, and sort of the creative side for the, for the Asian American community. Yeah, I really appreciate you doing that too. I'm going to say something very controversial. I think that ever since Crazy Rich Asians, there hasn't been another yeah. single hit movie in a similar format, right? Yeah. And I feel like our community needs to really come together and really continue pushing that narrative, right, of a strong Asian lead, and not just male, but also female yeah. as well, right? We don't like to follow the stereotype, kung fu, or, no you doubt. Know, or just bringing into like bringing in the Asian female lead that's so that's weak, right? You don't want that. Like, you want to continue building off what Crazy Rich Asian did, which is like showing diversity. Obviously, there's a lot of things that we want to improve upon. Not all Asians are obviously rich, right? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> but we like to continue like building on top of that. And I really, really appreciate you coming out with your narrative too. Like, if the book of like, you know, besides like showing better reputation, showing obviously there's one more element you touched on being mixed. Right. There's the yeah. cultural crisis of who, what am I? Who am I? Like, am I more Asian? Am I more white? Like, what's going on? 
you know, so I think it's good that you talk about that too, because lately we've been working with a lot of mixed, mixed Asian Americans out there and we're trying to support, support, support the cause. And obviously we're doing a lot of issues that are very unique to the Asian American experience. Like, hey, like I have both identities, what I pick, you know, defend myself yeah. when I not defend myself, when I, when I lean towards one race, when I lean towards other race, it's, you know, it's a whole different topic. Uh, but it's I do tough. appreciate that you're working on that for sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate it because, like you said, I that conversation is not as common, and it's funny because over the last couple of years or so, you're seeing a little bit more of that pop up, and at times, you know, it almost is isolating, right? Like, do I which side do you pick? Are you both? You know, are you not not one or you know? And I, I've heard it through the years, right? Like, you're not really Chinese. It's like mm, I don't know about that. You know, like I, you know, I don't think that's necessarily fair. And I'd say the same thing. You know, how many times? And you guys probably have heard this narrative too. Like overseas, like if you're in China, like you know, and you're a U.S. person, it's like, oh, you're not really Chinese. It's like all the time. Like, you know, like like what like how do you how do you define something like that that's it's hard to it's hard to grapple with but like you said like this whole idea of like picking sides can be a little bit tough and and then you know feeling alienated right like hey you know i, I look i'll admit it I, when i was growing up my my grandparents they only spoke chinese and i know i knew a little bit more then than i do now but i don't speak and like it's a huge regret of mine i wish i had a better grasp of of uh, foreign language, but it's funny. I listen to podcasts with other um, Asian Americans who are hosting it and they'll laugh because they don't speak either. And it's like, oh, okay. Like then I don't, it's almost comforting to hear that, right? Like, I don't know, maybe I'm preaching to the choir here or you guys think I'm crazy, but one or the other, like, I, I do think that there's like that element of, you know, sort of multi-ethnicities under, under one roof that is way more common than people realize. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And I think for the next segment of the podcast, we want to talk about something kind of fun, but kind of controversial in some ways. Okay. How do you feel about UCLA and USC leaving the Pac-12? Oh, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Heartbreaking. I'll be honest with you guys. Like that is, that was tough. You know, it was almost, almost 10 years for me, 10 seasons at the Pac-12. I didn't quite make the, the decade mark, but I was there from the beginning. I was grew up in the Northeast and I went to Fordham. So I didn't have the affiliation to one university, but I had been on all the campuses multiple times, got to know people on those respective campuses. And it was heartbreaking. Like I went from shock on when I found the news and the next day I kind of woke up sad because I'm like, well, what's this league going to be? You know, and everything gets driven by dollars and cents that come with television revenue. And it's just what the sport is. So there's nothing that you can really do to change that. But it is, I think the the older generation that's so used to the Pac-10 slash Pac-12, you know, like their heart's still with it. It's what it is. The younger generation is like, yo, whatever. Like it just... Let's just move on, right? There's more money there. I think it was a survival situation for for UCLA, and and I don't know if it, I would characterize it for SC that way, but for UCLA, I mean, there was like a hundred over a hundred million dollar deficit. You know, by the end of this decade, they're talking about that Big Ten deal generating that much a year for some of these schools. So you know, it, it's better to do that than to cut sports. But I think for the fan perspective, it's a bigger deal than the student athlete. I don't think the student athlete cares as much. It's like, all right, let's get the best competition. Let's go up against it. And every single Saturday, and Maggie, I know you're going to be glued to the television watching all of the uh, the games in the Big Ten Conference. There is there's going to be some great football to be played. So I think we at least fall back on great matchups, which are that's great for the fans. Yeah, I can agree with that more. I think the Big Ten is going to be much a bigger challenge. No offense to the Pac-12 teams. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like them too, but I think the Pac-10 is definitely a different league of zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited. And in your career, who have you had the pleasure of meeting with? Which athlete that left the like a super impression on you? You name like three. I know it's really hard to name. Oh. You name like three. So 
keeping with the theme of this podcast, I've never, I'll give you an answer that's really not an answer because I never met this person before. But the biggest impact in sports for me was what happened with Jeremy Lin and Linsanity. I was at ESPN at the time. I think back to those moments. Maggie, you had said this before, and I have written about this in the past. Like, my dad's not a sports fan. It's the first time, probably an only time in my life, where my dad was asking me repeatedly, Did you see what Jeremy Lin did? What did he do last night? I mean, that was shocking to me. He galvanized a community in New York that was dormant as sports fans. All of a sudden, you became a Knicks fan because of what he was able to accomplish. To me, just so awesome. I mean, you could talk about Yao Ming, but it is different, right? Because this is California kid. He's got that vibe. He's English is just like, you know, everyone else. Like it just, there was that aspect from a cultural standpoint, Brian, like he's the person that I think was maybe the most impactful, even though I hadn't met him before. And then over the years, I mean, there's just so many, I'll, I'll put it to you like this. Of course, I grew up a sports fan and had teams, but as I'm older now, I, I root for players. So, and it's a lot of, you know, I just want to see people that I'm friends with or I care about and them happy. So it's a lot of, you know, I root for them or the teams that they played for. So a lot of the analysts that I've worked with, you know, my situation at Pac-12, it wasn't great. I, I was kind of blindsided uh, when my contract wasn't renewed when I told when I was told it was. And the outpour and the support from my friends that had worked there, you know, something that I'll never forget. So I do think about those moments and a lot of them had played before and that was really cool to see. So I would just sort of say a lot of the analysts, just sort of a cop-out answer, but a lot of the analysts that I've worked with over the years, Brian, would, would probably be the most impactful athletes yeah. that I've been around. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the answer, right? Sometimes the best experience you have are with your coworkers that yeah. always have your back, right? They make work fun, they make your own career fun, and they make life fun, right? Yeah. So nothing wrong with that, for sure. Yeah. And Michael, for the ultra last part of the podcast, if you can restart any part of your career, what advice would you give to your younger self? It's going to be okay. That's what I would tell myself. I mentioned this before, guys, that there's not another broadcaster that you'll meet that'll be more lucky or more fortunate than I am. Once again, like I, I think about my path. Did I have hard moments in my career? 1000%. Were there things that I didn't want to hear regard to how I looked or how I sound? No doubt. That has happened and it's not fun to deal with in the moment or even reflect back on it. But I don't think there was ever more of a sense of panic that I have ever felt in my life than in 2020 because no sports, everything's shutting down, there's no jobs. And I was told I was out of work. So that's scary. And I had never had that happen before to me. And that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm really lucky. I mean, in this business, things are fickle. Like I went from one contract at one network to either another contract or just to another network. Like I hadn't been out of work before like this. And the prospects of not working again really scared me. The prospects of having to do a right turn and pivot and not do this as a job was scary. So I think if I had to give myself advice, like it's going to be okay. Because it, it, that's how it, that's how it was. You know, all of a sudden an opportunity, I wasn't out of work long. It was really just a couple of weeks. I got a heads up that in August, April, they told me I wasn't getting renewed. August, my contract was up and I knew the check stopped coming in August. But by the end of August, I was already at NFL network, but it was like the anxiety for all those months of basically no one hiring and that I was freaking out about. And now here it is like, NFL has been so good to me there. The opportunities. I think there's a renewed sense of optimism that I have. Like I get to walk into a brand new facility in Los Angeles. The studios are amazing. Like I'm happy at work every day. And I don't know if I could have said that about some previous stops that I've had, but that's been the case for me at NFL. 
And that's been really cool. So I, I would say, hey, like things do happen for a reason, which I hate that phrase, but people told me that and it's it's really true. Like things things worked out pretty well. So I would tell myself, just take a breath. It's going to be okay. Love that advice. I mean, yeah, it, it's true that things do happen for a reason. And I think we tend to look at our problems as this big, scary monster that we're not able to you know, solve in real life, but we get over it. And then the next problem happens and we get over that bigger problem, right? And so you look back and you, you realize that you solved all these problems that seem so big in the, in, in the past, but they now seem so small, right? Thank you for that advice, Mike. So where can our listeners find out more about you and your book online? Yeah. So social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, same handle at Mike underscore Yam. They want to check out the book. You know, Vooks is a paid service. And one of the cool things that they were willing to do was give me custom registration codes. So if you have a little one, two to eight in your family, guess what? You got a year free. All you have to do is check out their site. If you use my last name, it'll actually give you a year subscription for free. And I'm actually just... I shouldn't know this off the top of my head and I don't, but it's join dot books dot com slash redeem. If you just plug that into your browser, type in yam, you're good for a year. And it's not just my story, right? Like there's other stories about diversity and and there's almost 300 books on the platform. So it's just a great resource for kids and, and parents for sure. So I hope they take advantage. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. We will leave all of that in the show notes. Awesome. Mike, it was amazing having you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. You guys are awesome. I can't thank you enough for for not only spending some time with me and, and taking an interest in, in what I'm working on, but seriously, you guys are amazing. And congratulations because you guys' platform, my God, I can't even tell you how many times I'm double tapping on Instagram on the things that you guys are posting and, and rooting for a lot of the people that whose stories you're amplifying. So awesome job by you guys. And I'm glad you have this outlet and it's it's been successful. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for all the nice words. But when you reach out to us, our hearts get to beat too. Oh my God, like, reach out to us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, damn, am I going to response back? So uh, it was really cool. But it's awesome to meet you guys for sure. Likewise. Thank you so much for your time today, Mike. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes. So be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday. So stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.